Slayers, this is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. And that means today we are talking about Out of My Mind, Season 4, Episode 4. We are also going to briefly talk about the Angel episode, Untouched. Um... Just because you guys know I'm a process queen, um, I have to talk about those kinds of things. <laughs> um, so my mom openly admitted to me today that she's trying to sabotage me. <laughs> she's trying to manipulate me into not watching Angel at all because she refuses. She refused to stop watching it with me on Thursday nights. <laughs> so I now have to. Here's what I just had to do. Right now it is 9 p.m. At 6.30 p.m., I came upstairs, watched the Buffy, Buffy episode and took notes. Watched the Buffy episode for a second time because I watched it first on Thursday. And then I watched the Angel episode and took notes without pausing. With Buffy, I will pause to, like, take a full note. With Angel, I just sort of take notes as I'm watching. I'm not paying the full attention to Angel because this show is not about Angel. And then... I watched the TPN Buffy guide for Out of My Mind on YouTube. And then I came into my little room where I record and read the entry on um, in Nikki Stafford's episode guide book, Bite Me. So that whole process took two and a half hours. And now I press record. I'm not complaining because I really enjoy doing it, but it's just a time-consuming project. And I had this moment right before I hit record just now where I was sitting in my little closet that I call my office um, or that I usually call my tiny nook because that's what my friend who lived in this house before us called it because she also had her desk in this room. So I kind of stole the name from her. I need to get like a little sign that says tiny nook. That'd be cool. Anyway, I was sitting in here just looking around because I've got all kinds of like things tacked up in this room. It's just like completely covered in like postcards and tarot cards and other random art that people have given me over the years and things that I've torn out of CD artwork and magazines. And like, I'm just sitting in this little room and looking at my I Want to Believe poster. And, um, thinking, wouldn't it be really cool if someday doing this makes me money? I mean, the chance of that happening is pretty remote. Um, I do have a Patreon. Um, I guess this is, I wasn't trying to make that a segue into me promoting myself, but just in case you're interested, it is um, patreon.com slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. So, in my ex, not S. A lot of people think it's mistress, but it's mixtress for mixed tapes. Um, anyway, so I was just, I just had a little moment where I was like, 
you know what? I love doing this. Like, no matter what, I love doing this. But um, I just had a moment where I thought about the the podcasters, all the podcasters in the world. There's so many now that, like, they get to make money doing this. And I'm sure it feels like work a lot of the time. Sometimes it does. But it's still pretty fucking cool. And I'm glad to be doing it. So hi, how are you? <laughs> I hope you are doing well. I actually had a pretty good day today. Um, I've been on vacation, which I might have mentioned last week. I don't know if I did or not. But um, I've, I've, I usually take two weeks off in October. And this is the very end of my two-week vacation. And um, today went on a pretty long hike. It was a super windy day, but it was really nice. And it's starting to get cold out. You guys, right now I am wearing both a pair of socks and a pair of like little, little Halloween knitted slippers. And I'm wearing like a long sleeved, like, um, thermal shirt with a sweater over it. Like I am so excited when I get to start wearing layers. It's exciting. Okay. Anyway, I am now going to um, light a couple of candles because I'm finally recording at night again, guys. I haven't been able to do that for several episodes now. So I'm going to... I just think it's better for me. I'm less overstimulated by things going on around me at night when I can't see them as well. That probably sounds really stupid, but I think it's actually true for me. <laughs> anyway, so lighting a couple of candles. You guys know the drill. That means I get to drink with you guys tonight. I haven't been able to do that in a while. I got this new shot glass that is like handmade by this really cool artist in town and it broke like the first day I got it. Oh, it leaks too. Oh man. That's sad. Okay. Bottoms up. Okay. I was actually kind of an oversized shot because I was planning to sip it. But since my little shot glass is leaking, I'm so sad it's leaking. When it first got glued back together, after it broke that first night I got it, um, it wasn't leaking, but it started leaking again. Okay. Anyway, I'm not going to dwell on that. I promise. Okay. You guys ready to talk about out of my mind? So here's the episode description from the bite me episode guide. Riley's heart rate becomes dangerously fast, but he refuses medical help for fear Buffy won't love him if he's a normal guy. Meanwhile, Spike tries to get the chip out of his head. Wow, very thorough description right there. <laughs> that was me being sarcastic. I don't know if you noticed because I hardly ever do it. <laughs> I always tell people when I'm being sarcastic, which is ridiculous. But I'm a person that doesn't always notice when someone else is being sarcastic, so I do it for the people like me. Oh, my mom wanted me to point out, in case you can hear some really like ambient synth music in the background, it's because my Michael, his office is right next to mine. So she said sometimes she can kind of hear it, but not good enough to know what it is. And 
she appreciated me explaining to her what it was. So in case you ever have that moment, like a lot of the time, especially when I'm recording at night, he will go play music and like the wall where he's playing music is like right on the other side of the wall where I am right now. So that's why you can sometimes hear ambient music in the background. And if you'd like to check out more and hear it more clearly, <laughs> you can go to, oh shit. I don't know if his YouTube channel is called, I think it's just under youtube.com. I think his channel name is Lazare, probably L-A-Z-I-R-A-E. And he has like really cool, he's like actually really good at like, um, like music video editing. He makes like these really cool visuals that go along with his ambient music. He doesn't upload very often, but um, most of his music he makes, he just makes privately and only I get to hear it, but it's pretty good. Anyway, um, I guess since I'm like promoting myself at the moment, I might as well do that thoroughly. Um, if you guys are interested, I will let you know some of the other things that I do on the internet right now. I know I don't always mention that, but you know, I probably should every once in a while. A lot of podcasts I listen to, they promote themselves for like a solid 10 or 15 minutes, and then they have like three ad breaks during the podcast. So at least I'm not that bad. I don't have any ad breaks because I don't have any sponsors. <laughs> I had to pay for my internet mattress by myself. Okay. <laughs> um, but let me tell you about purple mattress. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I really love my mattress actually. Um, but I'm not here for that because they're not paying me. If they did, I totally would hype them up right now because I'm very happy with my mattress. Anyway, um, so other things I do on the internet, I have a weekly radio show that airs. You have to be there at the time that it airs, but it is every Friday from seven to 10 central daylight time or central standard time, either whichever time situation we're in, it is seven to 10 PM. And I play like goth music and new wave and dream pop and yeah, that kind of stuff. But in between playing music, I have talking segments. Usually it ends up being like three half hour long talking segments. So I'll talk for half an hour and then I'll play music for like half an hour. And that happens for the course of three hours worth of content. Um, and I do that every Friday. The way that you can access that is you just go to myradiostream.com slash mixtressradio. Um, the link for that is always in the description notes of the podcast in case you're interested. And if that sounds like the talking segments are aggregated into a podcast episode that is available to my patrons. So, um, I get really personal with my, um, my mixtress radio show because not a lot of people tune into it. So I, I'm available to kind of like really talk about whatever it is I'm going through or like existential crises or like just rants about feminism or whatever. I, I get real, I was almost going to say I get real deep. I don't know if it's deep, but I get really personal. So if you're interested in like personal shit, I try to keep most of that out of this podcast. But if you are interested in it, um, all you have to do is become a patron and you can listen to those, the talking segments from my mixtress radio. You can listen 
um, aggregated as a podcast. Every week, those podcast episodes become available, usually right after the radio show ends Friday nights. So, um, and that's at any level of giving on the Patreon. I mean, you can just give me a dollar a month. I don't know why I'm promoting myself. I'm not like broke right now or anything, but like I do a lot of different things on the internet. So I do that radio show and I do the podcast, this podcast, and I do, um, I'm also a tarot reader. So if you're all at all interested in tarot readings, head over to my YouTube channel. It is under Mixtress Ray. And you can see kind of examples of, I have some like pick a pile readings on there. And I also just have like more casual, like flipping through decks kinds of videos on there. So if you're all at all interested in tarot, um, I have many different interests, tarot, Buffy, music, personal bullshit. Those are all my interests. No, I have more than that, but my YouTube channel, like it started out as an ASMR channel and then it kind of morphed into me talking about and reviewing corsets and then it morphed into tarot. So it's been on tarot for a solid minute. I feel like my tarot obsession has kind of lasted longer than most of my other obsessions. I'm also autistic. So I get like special interest obsessions where it's like the only thing that I think about. And rather than like creating a different channel every time, I'm just like, whatever, this is me. I'm going to talk about what I'm interested in for as long as I'm interested in it. Anyway, I have an Etsy tarot shop. That's the other thing. And it is etsy.com slash mixtress tarot. So again, that's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S tarot spelled the normal way, which is T-A-R-O-T. So with that, all of my readings are actually 40% off right now. Um, with the exception of, I think my 10 minute readings are still the full price because they're just, they're pretty cheap anyway. Um, and fun fact, I usually get pretty thorough with my tarot reading. So if you order like a 10 minute tarot reading, you're probably getting 15. If you order a half hour tarot reading, you're probably getting 40 minutes. And if you order a 45 minute tarot reading, you're probably getting an hour or more. So, um, yeah, I really enjoy doing it a lot. I got to do one the other day or it was yesterday and I got the best feedback for it. It was awesome. It was like, apparently I'm like, just feeling like sentimental with you guys today. I hope that's okay. Um, I just love it so much. I really love doing readings for people. And I mean, I don't know, like sometimes I, I've always been like a very, like, I have a degree in psychology. So like I very much feel like I'm rooted in science-based thinking, but lately I've been getting pretty mystical. And like, sometimes I just get like these hits of intuition where I feel like I'm being, as I call it, psychic. <laughs> um, and I still can't fully like wrap my brain around that or say that I fully believe in it. But like, I have like these weird little intuitive moments that seem to resonate with people. And that might be just like something psychic powers are probably just something that science hasn't been able to fully like prove or test, you know, that kind of stuff I think has some validity to it. And it's not, it's probably not actually magic, but it feels pretty magical. So anyway, if you're at all interested in like tarot readings, go over to my YouTube which is under Mixtress Ray. And like, you can see some examples of like the, 
the kinds of readings that I do and see if you're at all interested in that. And then you can head over to my Etsy and you can get 40% off. And also if you become a patron, I have like a perk where if you're like a $5 or up patron, you get readings from me basically. So, um, depending on like, if it's $5 or $10, like it says so in the tiers on my Patreon, um, what you get with that. But it's basically like, you just let me know if you want a reading and I will send you a personal reading anytime. So that's really fun too. I really like doing readings for my patrons, especially because like, that's just like even more fun than doing them for like total strangers on Etsy, you know, because my patrons aren't strangers. I don't know. They don't, they don't feel like strangers, you know? <laughs> anyway, sorry guys. I really appreciate you. Like, I don't think I say that enough on this podcast. I say it a lot to my patrons that I appreciate them because of course I do, but I appreciate you too. You don't need to give me money for me to appreciate you. The fact that you listen to this podcast is, I mean, like if you're not a person that does this kind of shit yourself, like podcasts or YouTube channels or that kind of stuff. If you don't do that kind of stuff yourself, it might sound inauthentic to you to hear this, but I promise you it's not inauthentic. It's extremely wonderful and validating to know that like me sitting with a recorder in my hand in my closet in my house, talking to you about a show that I'm fucking in love with and other people are listening to it every single week. I mean, you guys don't know, but it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Like, especially like, I mean, most people that are doing what I'm doing right now are weirdos. Like I grew up feeling kind of like a pariah. I grew up feeling like nobody understood me. And now I have people tuning in, which I know it's not, that's kind of old lady language, but I am 38 now. Um, people tuning in to listen to my random ass thoughts every single week. I mean, it's, it's still so baffling and wonderful to me. And you guys mean a lot to me and I love hearing from you. So send me an email anytime mixtressradio at gmail. It's where you can send me emails because I'm kind of off social media. I haven't officially deleted my Instagram yet, but I'm probably going to. I got off Facebook a couple of years ago. I think just for my mental health, like social media is something I'm going to have to stay away from, but I will still have my YouTube channel. You can always comment on my videos and I see all of those comments. Um, and you can always send me emails and I'm still accessible, just not in all the ways that most people like me are accessible. But anyway, I just wanted to take a moment to like really say thank you to you guys because I truly like I'm sitting in my closet. I lit a couple candles and took a shot. And now I, I, I mean, this sounds so dumb, but I feel like I'm hanging out with friends and I would love to, you know, sometimes it feels like a one-sided conversation. So I want to encourage you. I know it's like more effort to like actually sit and compose an email to send to me. But if you guys ever feel like doing that, I love hearing from you. I really do. So, um, hit me up and I will put your thoughts on the right, on the, pa the radio show podcast, whatever the fuck this is. I don't know. I talk into my recorder a lot. I will put your thoughts on this podcast. If you, um, if you so consent to me doing so, um, I would love to get 
get feedback from you guys anytime, anytime you want to. I'm here. And I, a special shout out to anyone that is listening to me right now while they're at work. I know what that's like to like be toiling away. I listen to podcasts while I do. I have a cleaning job that I do every week. So I listen to podcasts while I'm like cleaning toilets and like, <laughs> you know, dusting ceiling fans, climbing on top of things so I can dust ceiling fans, you know, um, it's, it's pretty cool that like people allow other people's innermost thoughts to be in their ears while they're doing important shit in their lives and getting through their day-to-day -day lives. That's, that's no small thing. It's important. Anyway. <laughs> Now that I've gushed about you guys for 20 minutes, let's talk about Buffy. So the episode, Out of My Mind, opens with Buffy being kind of a predator. Like, she is just... I forgot how much of a focus Buffy had at the beginning of the season of just, like, she wants to know more about being a slayer. She's been hunting lately. She needs to... I don't know, this whole thing about her like needing to hunt, needing to hone her skills as a slayer. It's kind of inspiring to watch, actually. Um, she's never really had that sort of... You've never really seen her personally connect to being a slayer. You've seen her feel burdened by being a slayer. You've seen her feel like obligated to being a slayer but you've never really seen her embrace it in this way and it's kind of cool like she's staking vampires in this first scene of this episode before they've even risen from the grave which is pretty cool um so she's like you know she's like slayed like two or three vampires and then Riley shows up and you can tell that she's annoyed she was in the zone she was hunting she was doing her thing this is not boyfriend time <laughs> and um he shows up and you know he's kicking ass too and he slays vampires too and then spike shows up <laughs> and buffy's just like even more annoyed and because spike is very observant he notices buffy like give riley a look and while she's berating him and spike's like Oh, looks like neither boy is entirely welcome. <laughs> I love that. Um, then um, Buffy and Riley leave and Spike's by himself and he starts doing his, his like monologuing thing where he's like, I will know your blood, Slayer. I will make your neck my chalice. And then after he says that, he like walks off, like struts off and falls immediately into like an open grave. <laughs> It's pretty funny. Um, this episode is pretty good. Like, so far, every episode in season five has been pretty solid. Um, and it's important to note that Joss Whedon, who gets credited for everything that's good about Buffy, for the most part, is not the showrunner anymore. He's not even on set probably hardly ever at this point in the show's production. Like he shows up for like the big important episodes and then he disappears and goes and hangs out on the angel. Like he doesn't really give a shit about Buffy anymore. He's like, I made my statement. I'm Mr. Feminist. Everybody love me. And then he disappeared, which is fine because the show is possibly better for it. Like 
normally I wouldn't rate season five above like season three or even season one. Like a lot of people like really hate on season one, but I love it. It's so campy and like the fashion is so good, but I'm partial to that because I was really like at the right age to love all fashion from that era. But you know, um, I don't know. I think they're doing a really good job. They're peppering in a lot of little subtle foreshadowing here and there. Um, let's get into my notes a little bit. Um, the next scene is like the next morning you see Buffy and Willow getting out of class and they're having like an argument about history. And I'm sure that whatever they're talking about, which I have no clue what the fuck they're talking about, has something to do with the themes of this episode because that's what this show does. But, and when I was watching the TPN guide on YouTube, that was something that he mentioned as well. Um, and he kind of explained it, but I sort of, I sort of like, uh, you know, I spaced off a little bit. <laughs> like, <laughs> my grandma was also texting me at the time. Oh my God. Um, apparently this is the night for personal stories. Um, so I have this like group text that that is with my family, with my, my mom, my aunt and my uncle, my grandparents, my sister and my nephew and my Michael. And, um, because we meet every Sunday for lunch. So we always get a text from my grandma at like, usually it's like late Saturday night and she lets us know what the menu is for the next day. Um, and we all meet at her house on Sunday and, so then we all like text back. And so it was like, it's always a barrage of texts whenever that starts, you know? And my grandpa lately has first, I mean, it's been very recently that he has ever even sent a text, but he has now learned to use emojis. So today, this is just hilarious to me. So my grandma sends out the menu, like potato salad, burgers, whatever. And my grandpa responds to her text with two football emojis. (laughs) So I've decided that two football emojis means happiness and joy, according to my grandpa. So I had to respond, of course, with two football emojis. And then everybody in the family just started like posting random emojis. (laughs) Anyway, it was a fun time. Okay, you have to have your... You have to, like, take your fun where you can get it in 2020, children. Okay. So, Buffy and Willow are having, like, an academic conversation. And Willow's super excited because, like, for some reason, Buffy has really been throwing herself not only into Slayer shit, but also school. And my note here is, is this the last day we see Buffy at school? I am interested to pay attention to that to see if we even see her at school again because reminder for anyone that's tuning into this for the first time at this point for some reason this is not a spoiler free Buffy podcast okay so now that I've said that um I mean let's see what's the next episode no place like home what is the episode synopsis for next week because no place like home is not ringing a bell to me. Buffy encounters the beast and assumes it's after her mother. She puts herself into a trance and discovers a horrible secret. Okay, so I'm pretty sure at this point, like, 
Joyce is going to be sick. Joyce is just going to be consistently sick. And then she's going to die. You guys, I'm getting, like, triggered already. Like, just because in this episode, Joyce, like, passed out for a second. And she went to the hospital. Um, yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> I just, like... Even though Joyce has been mostly a shit mom up until now, like, they're showing her as if she's been a great mom and super attentive and awesome this entire time. They're they're just, like, retconning her into being that right now. But, and they won't stop. But it's still just, like, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I'm just, like, not ready to watch the body again. You guys, so I'm sure everybody that's seen Buffy you know, is super triggered by the episode called The Body Where Joyce Dies. But I'm like really kind of nervous about watching it in this context, um, in the context of like watching it several times in one week and taking notes. And like, I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that. It is possible that I'm going to have to handle that in a strange way in order to be able to handle it since it's such an emotionally jarring episode but let's not think about that yet <laughs> okay so is this the last time we're gonna see Buffy at school let's pay attention to that because I think it's possible this is the last time we're gonna see her at school because she ends up you know dropping out essentially because of her mom um oh I really liked this moment between Xander and Giles we don't get that many Xander and Giles moments throughout the series and we definitely don't get very many that aren't like Giles being antagonistic to Xander and kind of implying that he's stupid which you know he kind of is so whatever but um this is a just a cute little scene it's very tiny but we see um Xander is building a bookshelf and he looks like he knows what he's doing and Giles is kind of saying to him, you know what? I'm really impressed. And he's kind of helping him and like staining pieces of wood. And like, he's got a little mask on, which very 2020, right? Um, <laughs> he's got a little mask on while he's staining things, protecting himself. Good on you, Giles. And he says, I mean, he directly says to Xander, like, I'm pretty impressed. And like, you know, he's speaking directly to Xander. He's impressed with him, but Xander's super cool about it like you know he doesn't like act like he's all pumped up or anything like that he's just like yeah carpentry's cool and I just love this for Xander every time I mean you get several moments where Xander is like putting shit back together after like you know a fight Buffy has with the demon and I just love the fact that he has found something useful not only has he found a skill that's really cool carpentry is really cool but he also has um, found something that is helpful to Buffy because she's constantly destroying shit because she never takes the fight outside like she should. Jeez, Buffy. Um, so I just liked that little moment. Okay, and then another little moment that I really like. So they're in the magic shop and I just love it. You know, Buffy and Willow show up at the magic shop and after school and you get like a little panning scene where you get to see a lot of the stuff that's in the magic shop so this episode was like it was hard for me I still haven't decided what my coveted object of the episode is because this this scene shows like a lot of different things it shows like this really cool 
like purple glass decanter thing. There's a couple of them. They look like apothecary glasses, but they're like decanters and I want one. Um, and then it pans over to Tara and Tara has, I believe it was called the giant Rider Waite Smith tarot deck. She has part of the cards in her hands and the rest of them are on the table. It's huge. It's a huge deck. And you actually see the box at one point when it pans out and shows the whole table. And it is the giant Rider Waite Smith. Um, I don't know what the size of it is. It's probably like, I don't know, five by four, six by four, something like that. It's big. And she's holding a, a stack of cards in her hand. And I don't think it's an accident. I think it's another subtle foreboding signal that the card that you can see, and she's actually kind of gesturing with that huge fucking tarot deck in her hand um, while she's talking to Willow. And she's talking about, it'd be really cool if, if we could have like a real psychic here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, wouldn't that have been a wonderful world if like Tara became like the 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 magic shop's tarot reader and you got to see her like if they had utilized her as a character more in the series and you got to see her like having like pivotal ex what's what's the exposition I forgot the word for a second having like pivotal exposition scenes or like psychological conversations with different people in the show because they go to her for psychic advice and then she uses her tarot decks and like wouldn't that be cool but no um she's not implying that like she should be the tarot reader she's being all like shy and silly because that's how tara is in the beginning but anyway she's holding a stack of tarot cards and she's gesturing with it while she's talking to Willow and you can clearly see that the card that she has in her hand is the tower card and if you don't know anything about tarot the tower card is sort of like the upheaval card it's sort of the um oh fucking shit, everything's going to be out of my control and something's going to happen. It's like when you go into work one day and suddenly you get fired and it's because you've been unhappy for a really long time and it needed to happen, but instead, but you didn't take matters into your own hands by quitting. So you got fired instead. It's when like that kind of shit happens to you. And actually I didn't think about this until this moment, but the tower, like the season ends with Buffy ascending a giant tower and then jumping off of it, which is probably what the creators of the show were like foreshadowing in this moment. They were probably foreshadowing that in this moment. And Tara probably actually kind of knows that shit's about to go down, but she's not confident enough in her psychic abilities damn Tara. Damn Tara. Okay. Another thing that I noticed, um, I paused it while I was, of course, because I, my special interest right now is tarot. So of course I had to like pay attention. So she had the box for like the giant Rider Waite Smith that she had in her hands. And then the rest of the deck, um, the card that was on top of like the pile that was on the table was the four of wands, which is a very celebratory card. Just saying. 
I don't think that one was there for any like reason, but I just happened to notice that it was the four of wands. And then there was another deck. So like Tara's just obviously like kind of shopping decks while she's hanging out in the magic shop, which is cute. Um, the other deck that is like a regular size deck that is sitting right next to it on the table. And it looks like a deck that I used to have when I was a teenager. It really looks like the backs. Um, you guys probably aren't going to care about this unless you're into tarot, but I think it's the Yu-Gi-Oh tarot, um, which is just kind of cute that like I recognize the fucking deck. <laughs> I'm a tarot scholar, you guys. Okay. Anyway, Jesus, I'm like two paragraphs through my notes. And I've been talking for 36 minutes. This is going to be a longer one today. Apparently I talk more at night. Actually that tracks. Yes, I am a vampire. So, <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, I liked this little moment too, where like Willow comes into the magic shop and she says something about like, are these Newt's eyes? And Giles is like, actually they're blah, blah, blah eyes. And they're much cheaper, but they work just as well. And Willow's just kind of I don't know, being dismissive or something. And Giles is like, it's just a matter of overcoming snobbery. <laughs> I liked that. I like that like Giles is the one advocating for like generic newt's eyes for spells and stuff. <laughs> oh, I just love the magic shop. I just love it so much. Okay. Buffy or Willow sits down with Tara and like, she's like telling her that she is a really good psychic. She should be the one that like, because Tara's thinking, like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a real psychic, blah, blah, blah. And so Willow offers her hand to Tara and is like, okay, do me. Like a palm reading, I guess. And Tara's like, hmm. And Willow says, what do you see? And Tara says, Willow hand. And it's just really cute. It's just cute. That was a cute moment. Okay. Then um, Giles and Xander show Buffy that they've created a training room for her and um, in the magic shop, which is really cute. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of little cute moments in this episode, apparently. And um, Buffy makes a Star Trek reference, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Specifically, Star Trek Next Generation reference. Then we have, the next scene is Spike is watching Dawson's Creek. And I only know that because I now know that one of the characters is called Pacey. I've actually never seen Dawson's Creek. And a little bit of foreboding here, like obviously, like he's projecting here when he's like, Pacey, can't you see she doesn't care about you or something like that. Um, then Harmony comes over to Spike's. And she thinks that Buffy has been tailing her ever since that episode, two episodes ago or whatever, where she sent her that note saying Slayer come out and die with a happy face. Um, and she wants to hide out at Spike's because she thinks that Buffy's after her. And Spike sort of like implies that like, oh, you do anything? Wink, wink, wink. And... Harmony doesn't get it at first, but then she's like, oh, you mean have sex with you? Well, yeah. <laughs> I liked that because it was just kind of, you know, played to be like super ominous or something, but 
Harmony was not biting. She was like, well, yeah, obviously I will have sex with you. It's fine. <laughs> so I liked the sort of inherently weird evil people consent shit that was kind of hanging in the air in that moment. What else we have? Um, but then Harmony says to him, like, they decide that they need to have a plan for killing the Slayer. And um, Harmony says, asks Spike, can you help with the thinking? Because, like, she knows that he has the chip. So it's like, she knows that she will have to do the actual killing. But Spike can do the thinking. I don't know. That was just cute. I like Harmony in this episode because... I like the wardrobe choices too because most of the time lately when we've seen Harmony she's been really dressed up and she's been super hot but I like the fact that like she's supposed to look like she's been kind of feeling nervous for several episodes and kind of like on the lamb as she calls it and she's wearing just sort of more subdued clothing but she still looks good. She's wearing sort of like a lilac-y mauve top with like, with like little corset strings in the bust area, which is hot. And then she's wearing just like, I don't know, regular pants, like boot cut pants from the year 2000, you know. She looks cute in this episode. She's wearing the same outfit throughout the whole episode and it's kind of... It's not super dingy looking, but slightly dingy looking. It's very subdued compared to what she would normally wear. And I just feel like that was the right wardrobe choice for this particular moment in her life. <laughs> That's the shit that I noticed, you guys. Um, okay. Riley is too energetic. That's the next, um, that's the next point that I have. I mean, they really show him being like super like... So I wasn't actually seeing it this way at first. I was just kind of feeling bad for Riley whenever I watched the episode and when I was taking notes the second time I was watching the episode. I was just feeling bad for him because he's... I see how anxious he feels, not only because of, like, what's going on with his heart, but also I see how anxious he is to lose Buffy. And it's heartbreaking, literally, um, in his case. But... Something that was pointed out in the, the Passionate Nerd TPN, his episode guide, he kind of like was pointing out how codependent Riley is being, which is something that I think I somewhat recognized, but I didn't really, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind. But when he said that, I was like, oh yeah, he really is. He's putting so much emphasis on his relationship with Buffy. And I started thinking when I was watching this episode, like that moment at the end when Graham says to him something, or is it Grant? I think it's Graham. When Graham says to him something like, um, what are you now? Mission's boyfriend, mission's true love. And I started thinking, yeah, what's the deal? I mean, he was a psychology major. He was, he's super into psychology. Like it wasn't like the only thing he had was the military shit. I mean, it wasn't just a cover that he was into psychology, was it? No, because he still brings up psychology shit. Um, so why has he become so codependent on Buffy? I mean, I get from the sense of like, 
his foundation was really taken out from under him whenever he had to move on from the military situation. And now he has to figure out how to think for himself and he doesn't really know how to do that. So it makes sense that he would choose Buffy as his new like leader or whatever, but you can't have your leader be your girlfriend, you know, and he should, he should understand that being so into psychology, but he's not looking into his own psychology. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really seeing how codependent he was being, but it, um, TPN pointed that out in his YouTube video. And I was like, oh, wow. Yes. And he showed several examples of Riley from other episodes and how like he's putting a lot of the onus on Buffy of like, I don't even totally understand because I'm also a very codependent person. So I think I don't recognize it necessarily, but like he, he's just so consumed by her and she's very clearly saying to him, I am my own person. I have, I want my own time. You know, I don't want you to show up while I'm slaying you, you know, she wants him to take care of himself and she wants to take care of herself. And she doesn't want that sort of like leaning on each other relationship. I mean, say what you will about Buffy's psyche and the type of men that she seems to be attracted to, you know, it's not good necessarily. However, she wants her independence. She doesn't want to be, she doesn't, she doesn't want someone to constantly be looking out for her and thinking about, I mean, I guess that's not true because Angel never thought about anything but her. Spike never thinks about anything but her. So she's okay with obsession, but she's not okay with like healthy attachment. Hmm. Although in Riley's case, like he is depending on her too much at this point. He has made her his life. So even though I feel for him, for sure, it's good to remember that like what he's doing is not healthy either. How important he's making her in his life is not okay. And I really kind of relate to her. You know that, that Fiona Apple song, Left Alone? What is the lyric? It's, um, Okay, I had to pause for a second to think about it. How can I ask anyone to love me when all I do is beg to be left alone? That's the lyric. And I always have really like identified with that. And that's something that Buffy, that's that's one of the things I think that I emotionally relate to the most about Buffy is that she is very closed off. Like she she doesn't ever fully open up to people. She she like insists on closing herself off. And that's sort of like, I, I, I have to be independent. I have to be on my own. Like it's yeah. Anyway, where are we? Ben. Okay. So we see Joyce pass out in the kitchen with Dawn. And as she's right before she passes out, she looks at Dawn and says, who are you? And then she passes out. At the hospital, we meet Ben. There's this cute moment where um, Dawn has a stethoscope and you get to hear from, from her point of view. What is the audio equivalent of point of view? I don't know. But you hear from her 
audio point of view, like she listens to Ben's heartbeat, then she listens to Buffy's heartbeat, then she listens to Riley's and it's fucking crazy town. So his heartbeat is like 150 beats per minute. You see him because they're already in the hospital at that point. You see, um, a doctor who, Hey, props for like there being a black woman doctor in this one moment where they have a doctor later on for several scenes and it's just a white guy. But in this moment we get a black chick and she, you know, says to Riley, I have never let someone leave with tachycardia as bad as yours. I don't think you should stay. You should leave. And he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then we see a scene with Buffy in her bedroom and, um, Willow's like laying on the bed and Dawn is sitting on the floor. And so Buffy's like pacing around and she's kind of walking over Dawn's legs. I just thought it was kind of a, a sweet little moment of like just showing how, I don't know, just like family comfort situation. Like how many times have Willow, Dawn and Buffy, I mean, literally not, this is probably the first time, but like in their memories, Willow, Dawn and Buffy talking about like some current issues that they have to face and Buffy's going to be pacing and Willow's going to be just sitting still and Dawn is going to be in the way. <laughs> like she was literally in the way, but Buffy was tolerating her existence, which is a slight development from what we've seen so far. So Buffy's pacing around the room. She's walking over Dawn's legs. And I just thought that was a cute touch. And, um, Dawn actually says something really smart. She's like, okay. Cause Buffy's like super anxious about like, he could have a heart attack. You know, he needs to pay attention to this, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know how to get a hold of the initiative because they're a spy organization that never admit, admits to being, that has never admitted to existing in the first place. And Dawn's like, well, if they're spying on you all the time, just say something where they can hear it. Thank you. Michelle Trachtenberg, Harriet the Spy, Don Trachtenberg, John, Don Trachtenberg, Don Summers. Thank you so much. Anyway. And then Buffy, like being such a fucking drama queen, just like leaves the room. Like I gotta go guys. Bye. <laughs> but she doesn't say, actually, Don, that's an interesting idea. I'm going to go over to Riley's house and I'm going to talk into his phone and if they've tapped it, then they'll come help. Fucking shit. Okay. Then we get to see, um, Mark Lucas playing basketball, which is something that he was kind of, I think he was like a professional basketball player or something before he started acting on Buffy. So you get to see him actually playing basketball. Great. I don't know. I fucking like the fucking guitar music in the background of the scene. You guys, it's Nickelback. Fucking Nickelback. <laughs> Anyway, Graham shows up while, um, Riley's playing basketball and he tries to convince Riley to get his heart fixed and they have a doctor and blah, blah, blah. And, um, Riley kicks his ass along with the other two guys that are backing him up. And then Buffy has a conversation with Graham and he's like basically telling her where the doctor is and Buffy's like, I'll get him there. And then she does this little moment where she's like, if you tell me to hurry, I'll kick your ass, <laughs> which is cute. Um, 
Then there's a moment back at the magic shop where Buffy's like strategizing, like where would Riley be right now? Because he just disappeared after he like punched out everybody at the basketball court. Um, she's like strategizing, like where would he be right now? Blah blah blah. Talking to Tara, Willow, Xander, Giles, and Anya, and Xander starts going into this whole like. You know, maybe like a, somebody really liked a person and they weren't sure if that person liked them back. And then and it's like, is he talking about himself and how he used to be in love with Buffy? Or is he talking about Riley? Because, you know, he's the one that had that conversation with Riley where Riley said to Xander, like, she doesn't love me, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about here, but Anya thinks she's talking about him and her and... He's kind of dismissive towards her, which I fucking hate. Like, Xander, appreciate Anya more, okay? Seriously. Um, minty mug, minty mug. Um, it has been a while since we've seen Giles's minty mug, but I want you guys to know that he still has it. He has it at the magic shop. He took it from home to the magic shop because he feels like the magic shop is just an extension of his home now, you guys. I'm reading too much into it. Yes, I don't care. Um, I have a note. Buffy slapped Spike. Oh, yeah, because she went to talk to him at his house because he knows the initiative caves and she's theorizing that maybe Riley will be there. And she tells him everything. She's like, she's like, get him to here by this time. Like, what? Why are you trusting him with that information? Seriously. And she slaps him. And it's kind of like a moment of like, I don't know. It was like a sexy slap. Did you guys get that impression? It looked like a sexy slap. And I've never said the word sexy slap before. Like that's not something I normally think about. <laughs> Equating sex with violence. That was a theme that TPN brought up a lot in his episode guide for this episode. And it, from Spike's point of view, like why he would be in love with Buffy is because he very much conflates sex with violence, which is his entire character. So it makes sense. So Harmony and Spike. So Spike takes that moment of like, you know, Buffy talking about what's wrong with Riley and there's this doctor and blah, blah, blah. And so he's like, Hey, Harmony, let's go take over the situation. So Harmony, Spike and a crossbow, they meet the doctor and, um, Buffy was going to the initiative case too. Why didn't she just take Spike with her? I don't understand. Actually, that's a plot hole right there because she didn't know the initiative caves very well, but she thought that maybe Riley would be there. And then she goes to Spike to convince him to go there. But then she leaves to go there without him, presuming that he's going to be going there too. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, whatever. Um, Harmony and Spike hold up the doctor because Spike wants to get the chip taken out of his head. Um, Tara and Willow go to the old burned out school looking for Riley, just in case he's there. It's super dark and Willow does this crazy spell that like super illuminates the whole school. And you can see, again, another excellent form of foreboding for something that doesn't even happen. Like this whole plot point of like Willow getting kind of out of control with magic. 
they plant the seeds for it at the very beginning of her and Tara's relationship back last season. But we're not going to see Willow go over the edge until the end of next season. So I love that they like were just peppering in those little moments here and there this early. Um, I mean, you even get some caution from Giles to Willow before Willow has ever even met Tara. Like Giles is kind of like, uh, Willow, you're kind of going too far with magic. Like he says that probably back in like season fucking two. Like, did they know that she was going to go off the deep end in season six back in season two? I don't know. Probably not. That's probably giving them too much credit, but anyway. So my next note is nice echo on Riley's voice. So when Riley and Buffy are in the caves, um, I was wearing my headphones and watching it on my computer on the DVD. And the sound is just so fucking good on the DVD. Like the sound design, like props to the sound design, despite the fact that they used fucking Nickelback. Maybe that was at Mark Blubus's request. I don't, maybe he likes Nickelback. I don't know. His hair was so bad in this episode too, you guys. Did you notice? It was awful. Like, sometimes I can kind of see Riley as being a sort of cute guy, but not in this episode. His hair was awful, and I can't even articulate what was wrong with it, but it was bad. So this is where they have the, the conversation where Riley's like, he's, punching the cave walls and Buffy finds him and she's like gotta take you to the doctor man your heart's gonna blow up and Riley's like I can't be normal I can't be just another just another guy just another guy you guys remember that Oingo Boingo song Oingo Boingo song not just another guy it was just another day but had a sick xylophone in that song just a moment. Just take a moment for just another day by Oingo Boingo. Okay. So he's afraid that if he becomes a normal guy, if he gets his heart fixed and he's not a superpowered dude anymore, the Buffy will like him. And I'm saying that in a sort of dismissive way, but I, I want to point out that he's completely right. She's already pulling away from him. And when he becomes normal, she completely closes herself off to him. And is it because he's not a super powered guy? I don't know. I mean, her track record with normal guys has been bad. I mean, there was Parker who was an ass face. There was, um, Scott Hope who turned out to not be interested in girls. And then there was, um, Owen who was like obsessed with danger or some bullshit. Like, it makes sense to me. I know that like the show kind of wants you to think that there's something wrong with Buffy because she doesn't like normal guys, but it makes sense to me that she can't maintain relationships with normal guys. First of all, someone in her position probably can't maintain healthy partnered relationships with anybody. Like you're not going to like get married, get old and have kids. If you're the fucking slayer, you're just not. So it makes sense to me that she wouldn't have normal relationships, but, um, I mean, I just don't think, I just don't think, I think the show wants you to judge her for not 
being able to make it happen with a normal guy. And I know a lot of the time I have kind of backed that up by saying that like Riley really is the most healthy choice for her. He is, but, and I know I've really tried to be on Riley's side because I don't, I don't like this mentality that like a lot of the Buffy fandom has with like Riley and Dawn are terrible. Like most people seem to have the opinion that Riley and Dawn are terrible. And I'm not going to come from that perspective with either of them. Riley is a wonderful guy, but it just, it makes sense that somebody like Buffy isn't going to be able to, to deal with the normal guy. It makes sense. And I understand how like crazed he's being here because he wants to keep her because he's obsessed with her. Like, I get it. I get it, but he's completely right. He's like telling her like, you're not going to like me anymore when I'm not super. And also you already don't like me. Like she really did. You know, I never thought about this like this before, but she really like whenever she came out of that, that dream with the Slayer and she started becoming really focused on like Slayer shit. That was when it, when the shift happened, like she is emotionally closed off to dudes from now on. Like she really did accept Riley and she really did fall for Riley. And I don't necessarily think that she fell for him because he was some kind of super dude, but it really helps in this situation. Like if you were Buffy, would you be able to, I mean, if you had just like a normal relationship with a normal boyfriend or girlfriend, like you're not going to, you're going to have to protect that person all the time. Yeah. It, it would just be exhausting if that person wasn't also pretty capable, you know, if they're going to be a big part of your life, like a partner relationship usually is. And Buffy already has a lot of people in her life that she has to protect, you know, like why add a boyfriend to that? <laughs> I don't know. Like I feel bad for Riley. I truly do. And my heart's going to break for him whenever he has to leave. It is even though Riley's definitely not one of my top 10 characters on Buffy. Like as much as I apologize for him, I don't really like him that much. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and admit that now. Like I don't, but I still feel, feel for him. Like, can you imagine trying to have a relationship with a slayer? Like, of course you'd be obsessed with that person. Like Buffy is a force of fucking nature. She really is. I think Scott Hope said that about her, but it's true. She is. She would be somebody that you would just like always harbor some sort of like crush on but you can't, she is the unattainable. You cannot have her. You cannot possess her. No. Okay. <laughs> um, my next note is I'm triggered by this cave conversation. Buffy's self-righteous asser assertions of love feel old after Angel. Yeah. Whenever she goes into the hole, like when she gets all teary eyed and she's like, she gets real luxury at him. She's like, do you really think that I've stuck around because I want you to be in the super club. And she's just like condescending towards him. And this bugs me. I get that she's angry 
and emotional and she needs to save his life but you can tell she her heart's not in it anymore with Riley it's just not um okay so then we have Harmony and Spike they're like intimidating the doctor into like trying to get him to take out Spike's chip and he doesn't really know how to do it and um Harmony it's just a cute scene because Harmony's like ew it's all squishy (laughs) and then she starts smoking and the doctor says that it's not allowed and she turns around and looks at the no smoking sign she's like oh my god I'm so sorry I didn't see the sign and then she immediately puts the um cigarette out which I just thought was cute she's a vampire (laughs) like I love Harmony so much she's also fucking hot isn't she I think she's really hot Mercedes McNabb she reminds me of a couple of different like um friends that I had growing up like just her face structure and I don't know she's just she is nostalgia to me and I think she's cute um the doctor fakes like the chip is out I it was distracting how this whole scene played out like I don't know a lot about brain surgery but I'm pretty sure it's not just like a sheet discreetly put over the top of a person's head while they're still awake and like you'd have to crack open their fucking skull and then you just put like a tiny bandage on Spike's head that you can't even really see like please like (laughs) it's hard to suspend your disbelief when it looks that casual you know anyway um blah 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 he wants to believe her so bad oh that moment just like going back to that moment with um Buffy and Riley in the cave like she's saying to him that she that he knows her better than any then basically she's saying better than Angel ever knew her and blah 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 but of course she doesn't say she loves him and that never that was never obvious to me until it was pointed out by the passionate nerd on YouTube that like whenever whenever Riley says something pretty grandiose to Buffy that essentially equates to I love you he'll say something like loving you is the hardest thing I've ever had to do or just like super crazy shit like that that he says to her she doesn't respond with love she hasn't actually said love to him I I mean maybe at some point she has but she definitely hasn't lately what have you done for me lately Um, but he wants to believe her whenever she's like, I need you. I need you with me, Riley. She says that and he melts because that's the closest thing that he's had to her. This moment when she needs to save his life because his heart's about to explode is the most attention that he's probably, that she's probably paid him in a very long time. And that's sad for him. It is. Um, okay, let's move forward again to, My next note is, why isn't Graham helping with the strategy here? So Buffy shows up and she sees Graham all knocked, Buffy and Riley show up at the hospital where the doctor's supposed to be and Graham's all knocked out and he's, he's coming too, right as they get there, of course, because that's how TV works. And he's like, Buffy, you better figure this out. Riley's about to explode. And, like, he's a military guy, right? Like, why isn't he strategizing with Buffy? This is a missed opportunity to me because in this moment where Riley's sort of, like, 
not fully capable because he's starting to go down. Um, Graham and Buffy could have like a little brainstorming session of like, okay, well, where would they take them? And blah, 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 because they found out that like Spike has taken off with the doctor. And I don't, I don't know. It just could have been a cute little moment where like Graham could be shown as being capable of figuring shit out. It doesn't always have to be Buffy, you know, it doesn't. I mean, I don't like have any particular feelings towards Graham, except that he was kind of reasonable friend of Riley's from back in the day. But anyway, just another, just another guy. So Riley gets fixed up. They get there, they find Harmony and Spike and Spike thinks his chip is out and he tries to fight Buffy. But of course he has intense neurological pain because the doctor faked getting the chip out because he knew he couldn't do it. Um, and then Riley and Harmony fight because Harmony accidentally shoots Riley in the leg with the crossbow and yeah, anyway, whatever. So then the doctor fixes up Riley, which is another, like, he just has like this tiny little bandage that you'd have in your, it's like the big bandage in the first aid kit, you know, like the square one that's like two and a half by two and a half inch square bandage. So you see him just like getting that bandage put on him after everything, like his heart was going to explode, but he doesn't have to have some crazy open heart surgery. He just has to have a little tiny bandage put on his chest. And at least to their credit, they also had like his right jeans, pant leg cut off because that was where the spear from the crossbow was stuck in his leg. So they had patched that up too. And Buffy just kind of, at this moment was heartbreaking to me. Um, and I don't know if I've ever necessarily had an emotional connection to this moment before, but it was heartbreaking to see Buffy knowing everything that Riley's going through and how invalidated his feelings are and all of that stuff to have Buffy walk up to him after he has some sort of heart surgery. You would assume it would be major heart surgery, but it would probably require more than just sitting up, putting your shirt back on with the bandage and walking out of there. Like, I don't know. I just wish it seemed a little bit more serious than that. But anyway, so she comes in and he's got the bandage on his chest and he's putting his shirt back on and she is sweet to him for about 30 seconds. And then she's like, are you going to be all right? Cause I need to go check on my mom. Okay. Bye. Like, okay. Like, obviously I am also a codependent person like Riley. I'm probably more like Riley than I am like Buffy, but God, I hate to admit that, but it might be true. But, um, like, I, I mean, I see that he like has his own apartment or whatever. It's shown in this episode and they refer to him as his apartment. So it's not like a dorm room or anything, but like, I just feel like if a person has had some sort of heart surgery, wouldn't you take him home with you? Like, at least, like, if Joyce would have a weirdness surrounding that, which I doubt she would. I mean, your daughter's the slayer. You're not going to be weird about her boyfriend sleeping in the bed. And he's definitely slept in the bed before. Anyway, I don't know. I just feel like if 
my boyfriend had just had some sort of major surgery that he's able to stand up and walk away from, I would at least like have him stay over and pet his little head, <laughs> you know? Like she's not even there for him the night after his surgery. She's just sort of like, okay, are you right now? Okay, my work here is done. I have saved your fucking life. Now I'm out of here. Like she just wants to get away from him. She can't get away from him fast enough, which I, yeah, I guess that's just the thing. She's, she's over him. She is over him and Riley knows it and it's heartbreaking. Oh my God, poor baby. Okay, where are we now? Um, tiny heart bandage, okay. Buffy's gotta go. And then we have a confrontation between where Graham is talking to Riley and he's like, what are you doing here, man? You need to come back with us. Like, what, what, what are you doing here? What are you? You used to be all about the mission and now you're what? Mission's boyfriend, mission's true love. And that always kind of bugged me. Like, why is it not okay for him to be? And true. Why is it not okay for Riley to be a part of Buffy's world? For, I mean, Tara joins in the fight and she's a part of this world. Anya joins in the fight and she's a part of this world. Part of this might be sexist. The fact that like he is emasculated in some way because he is caught in Buffy's orbit and he has made his life about her. That's probably where that's coming from to a large extent. But I also get it from the point of view of just like being an individual person. He has completely made his life about Buffy. You know, he doesn't seem to be doing anything else. And so in that sense, if you try to take like the, the sexism out of like the thought process in this conversation, it makes sense. Like, what are you doing here, man? What are you doing? And it's true. What are you doing? I don't know. I just, I just like to see, I feel like it's a disservice to Riley's character that they aren't having any conversation about what Riley's doing with his life. I mean, it's just totally accepted that his whole world would be subsumed by Buffy. And that's every, everyone that's ever fallen for Buffy, their whole world has been subsumed by her. So maybe she's just, she's a fucking tornado vortex, you know, you gotta stay out of the Buffy vortex. <laughs> stay away from the Buffy vortex, okay? <laughs> okay, then last scene, Spike has the dream. So this is the one where Spike essentially, he wakes up after having this dream and finally he confronts to himself that he is in love with Buffy. So this is exciting to me because I really enjoy lovesick Spike. Um, I just, you know, the sort of unrequited love thing, like I know it's such a cliche, but I totally fall for it every time. I love a simmering love story, you know? Um, I mean, it is such a cliche, but one of my favorite books is Pride and Prejudice because the entire book is a simmering, a slow burn of like people that think they hate each other, but then they think they might really respect each other. But will they ever actually be on the same page at the same time? And it's, it's a super old school style of love story, but it's the type of love story that I like. You know, I like it when people 
take a long time to get together. It's one of my favorite, like if I'm going to deal, the kind of love story that I cannot take is love at first sight. I can't take it. I can't tolerate it because I personally take a really long time to warm up to someone. So that's the kind of love story that I enjoy watching because I can relate to it. So I kind of love the fact that like Spike is just going to completely adore Buffy for the foreseeable future. And I kind of hate it when they get together actually, because it's so fucking toxic. And we'll talk about that obviously, but I like this phase. This is kind of my favorite phase of Spike whenever he is just such a little lovesick puppy puppy for Buffy. I like it. So I'm glad that that phase is beginning. Um, okay. So that's basically the Buffy episode conversation. Finally, this is already way longer than every episode I've done so far this season. I just talk more at night. Um, okay. So object of the episode that I want to pluck right out of the episode to keep for myself. There's that purple apothecary style decanter that was in the magic shop. There's also the, there was, there's a huge like cathedral amethyst in the magic shop. You know, one of those, like you see it in a magic shop and you know, it's like a thousand dollars and no one's ever going to buy it, but it's gorgeous. Um, I'd love to have one of those someday. Like that's never going to happen, but wow, wouldn't it be cool to have one of those? Or like, ooh, do they have those that are like smoky quartz? Like a smoky quartz cathedral? Yeah, that'd be cool. But I also really liked Buffy. She had a bag that she was wearing throughout the episode. You know what? I'm just going to call that part of her outfit. So that'll win outfit of the episode. And I'm taking that cathedral amethyst for myself. You know? That's that. That's the object. Outfit of the episode. Buffy is wearing one of her iconic outfits in this episode. She's wearing like, um, a white tank top. It was a little bit more of an intricate style than just a regular, like A-frame tank top. A-frame? Is that what they call it? A style? There's A is in the title somehow. Um, anyway, it was a little bit more of a style, but it was just a white tank top essentially with red pants. I don't think they were red vinyl or pleather. They didn't seem shiny. They seemed more like maybe they were canvas or something, but they were red, like super dark, like blood red pants and like white tank top. And then at one point she was wearing like a leather, like a red leather jacket over it. And throughout a lot of the episode, she was also wearing this purse that was like one of those like messenger bag type purses with like the super thick strap, kind of like Veronica Mars used to wear a lot. And, um, it was, but it was a leopard bag. So that's a pretty great outfit. Just like when I think of like Buffy iconic outfits, I think of Buffy blue, like her wearing a Buffy blue shirt and black pants or something. I think of those like brown stretchy pants that she had in season two. I think of the prophecy girl outfit when she had the crossbow and like the white flowy dress and the leather jacket. And then I think of this, I think of her in a white tank top and red pants. So 
Um, that has to get outfit of the episode because it's kind of an iconic Buffy silhouette. Quote of the episode. Shit, I didn't write that down. Um. Hmm. Maybe it, sh- it maybe it should just be I will know your blood slayer. I will make your neck my chalice. Sure, why not? Um MVP of the episode. Ooh, I haven't thought about that yet either. You know, I mean nobody's really standing out to me like obviously Buffy like saved Riley's life in this episode, but she is the main character of this show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, Xander's got his carpentry thing going on. Giles is perfect as per usual. Um, Tara's perfect as per usual. Riley, he annoyed me in this episode. I mean, I hate to say that because like, you know, poor guy having a health crisis and an emotional relationship crisis at the same time. But he annoyed me in this episode. Um, Spike was also like, you know what? I'm going to give it to Harmony. Because Harmony always steals my heart when she is in any episode. And she had to deal with Spike throwing a total fucking tantrum. And I just feel for her in general. Like, I don't know. Being around Spike is annoying. You know, poor, poor little Harmony. And she thinks that Buffy, like, is after her, but she's totally not. And so Harmony's just having a moment. She's having a little crisis in her own moment. Um, So, in her own life. So I'm going to give it to Harmony, just pretty much for no reason. I have basically decided to abandon my 5 by 5 ratings. Um, Just... Maybe I'll just aggregate them instead of actually creating. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so I don't know how this is going to end up, but I'm in an evolution of my 5 by 5 rating. So I think what I'm going to do is just kind of rate it in general. How do I rate this episode? 1 to 5. Or 0 to 5. It's fine. Like, it... There's... It's effective. It moves forward the plot. It's fine. Very middle of the road. I'll give it a three. Okay. So let's move on to talking about the angel episode because I haven't been talking for long enough, right? Oh my God, you guys, hour and 20 minutes in and we're just now talking about angel. So the episode, the angel episode that aired on this day, 20 years ago was called untouched. So basically the plot of this episode. Ooh, let's, let's see what Nikki Stafford says it is. Sorry. I didn't get out the book yet. And I think I lost my bookmark, so I have to look it up. Hold on. Okay. As Angel's racy Darla dreams continue, a woman with telekinetic powers who is recruited by Lila needs him to help her. So essentially like and this is the first episode I've actually watched so far of Angel. Um, this episode, I mean, I've seen it before, but just for this rewatch, I haven't watched any of the actual episodes, but I did this time. Um, so Darla is basically raping Angel in his sleep, and she's been doing it for a while. She has some sort of sleep powder 
that she's giving him. He's to everyone else. It just looks like Angel's been sleeping all the time, but he's not feeling rested. And he is having like all these crazy ass, like sex dreams about Darla. And he's keeping, he's keeping the secret from everyone. When, if he just told them what was going on, they would realize that this is supernatural and they would help him. He's the fucking damsel in distress right now because, you know, I don't, this is something that like, if we're ever truly going to be a feminist society, which who knows if we will, but if we ever are, we're going to have to pay attention to this shit and take it seriously. This is in this narrative. It's a man. Darla's physically in the room with him. She's drugging him while he's asleep. And she's like writhing around on him. Who knows what she's actually doing to him while he's asleep. It's atrocious and it's, it's rape. It is. And like, we're not really supposed to, the, the narrative doesn't seem to want us to think that that's what's, they don't want us to define it as rape, but it is. And if we're going to be a feminist society, we have to recognize that men don't just want it all the time. They can be raped too. So that really bugs me. Cordelia makes a lot of like jokes that do not age well at all. I don't notice this as being something that happens a lot on Buffy, but on Angel, it's a much more like blatantly sexist show, blatantly sexist, racist, all the like Cordelia says the R word that we don't say anymore. She also like makes some, some st stupid, like she calls Wesley a woman at one point. She also makes fun of Angel for wearing a scarf or something. It's, it's not okay. It's not okay. But okay. So what are my notes here? Cute little moment with Cordelia, like Angel's being like super testy because he's not getting any sleep lately. And he like implies that he's going to fire Cordelia. She doesn't get in line or something. And Cordelia just looks at him and she's like, you can't fire me. I'm vision girl. And then she sticks her tongue out at him and kind of just gives him a little smirky look and he laughs. And it's just a cute little moment that she like dissolved the tension with him. Like she doesn't really put up with him just being like super broody. You know, she, she calls him on his shit. And there's a lot of moments in this episode where Cordelia is just really shining. She's just being a badass. She has this whole moment with the chick that they're trying, the telekinesis girl that they're trying to save where she's like connecting with her, but she's also being super protective of Angel in that conversation. But she's also being very personal, personable with this girl, even though she thinks that this girl's very dangerous and it's, it's sweet. Like Cordelia is a much more well-rounded character than she was in like that first year of Buffy, you know, like you've actually seen her progress. And this show Angel does not always do right by Cordelia's character, but they are right now. They're doing, they're really like making her a pretty badass bitch. And I like that. 
Angel gets impaled by the telekinesis girl um, by a rebar. And at one point, he's like being all testy again with Cordelia. He's like, do you know how hard it is to think straight with a rebar through your torso? And Cordelia's like, yeah, actually, I do. Because that happened to her back in season, was it two or three? I think it was two. I'm pretty sure it was two. Um, where she gets, like, impaled by the rebar. And then she breaks up with Xander. Remember that shit? Um... Blah, blah, blah. Unethical, Wesley. Oh, he... There's, like, some some rapey stuff in this episode. Like, if you decide to watch, if you haven't yet, and you decide to watch this particular Angel episode, I would say there's a there's a trigger warning for this episode. Because the, the, um, the girl in this episode that has telekinesis that Angel's trying to help, he's trying to help her, like, figure out how to hone her powers and control them and all that stuff. And it's actually a decent episode, but it, they they get a little bit too detailed with the abuse that this girl has suffered, and it's upsetting. Um, I mean, I don't know if it was exploitative. The way that this story is told so many times, you know, it's a girl being raped by her dad. And the way that this, this story has been told many, many, many times throughout pop culture, particularly television and movies, I think. Um, and it, it does hit home in this episode. It's, it's upsetting. Um, so just trigger warning for that. If I think it's a well done episode overall, despite the like jokes that don't age well and the fact that this plot line is a little exploitative in general, but I think they dealt with it pretty well. And I think it was a pretty enjoyable episode overall. Um, Cordelia really shines in this episode. Um, they really, they, they subverted what I thought they were going to do. So like the whole episode is like, oh my God, is this chick just going to fly off the handle? Is she going to work for Wolfram and Hart by being an assassin? Or is she going to like learn how to control her powers and like overcome and you don't know until like the last minute and she's confronted with her father her father shows up and it's like a moment where you know in the whole buffy verse morality shit if she was about to go go you know the point of no return if she had killed her dad because she had gotten more control over her powers at this point if she had killed her dad in this moment she would have probably gone to work for Wolfram and Hart and been an assassin and like, you know, lost it. But this was a case where Angel was able to get through to her. She was able to figure out how to control her powers. And so she threw her dad out the fucking window of the hotel. And then she stopped him right before he hit the ground. And then she dropped him. So I'm sure she fully traumatized his ass without actually killing him and like according to the the buffy verse mentality morality um she didn't lose herself by taking a human life in that way even though she had taken lives before i would have been totally fine with her killing her dad because he was awful <clears throat> but <laughs> um 
it was a good episode though. Like it's made, it made me think, well, shit, maybe I should go back and watch the first three episodes of the season. Cause since I didn't watch them, like, I think this is kind of the sweet spot with Angel, which I've said before. Um, so I probably missed out on not watching the first three episodes because this one was like, well, okay, it's pretty good. There's this whole plot line in this particular episode, guns becoming more and more a part of the team and Cordelia's really fighting for him to get paid. And Wesley's arguing against it for some weird reason. And Angel's afraid to like ask him if he wants to be paid. It's like a weird plot point. Like, why would it be weird to ask a person? Like, it seems weirder to me that they weren't already paying him. If he's like, Angel's like at this point calling on him often to elicit his help, but he's not paying him. So it's, it's weirder to me that he wasn't already paying him, but it was, I don't know. It was just kind of an interesting plot point. Like the, like somebody that kind of ends up a part of your sphere that you weren't really planning to hire. Do you start paying them? Like whatever. Um, finally, like Angel breaches the topic with him at some point and he's like, hell yeah, I'd love it if you paid me, you know, <laughs> like, duh. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good episode. Like it made me a little sad that I haven't been watching them so far. So I'm going to try to keep up with that. Um, even though it's going to make my episodes longer, but you guys can always skip the angel parts if you want. But if you're listening right now, thank you. I love you. <laughs> um, okay. So I think that's it. I think it is. I think that's it. Yeah. I don't have any more notes so we can finally shut the fuck up. So thank you guys. I, it's so much more fun to do this at night. <laughs> it really is. I wonder what time it is. I haven't looked at the clock since I started this, you guys. It's 1030. Yeah. That tracks. Not that bad. You know, sometimes it's like fully like 1 a.m. before I stop watching, before I stop recording. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and edit this shit and get it uploading. And thank you guys so much for listening. You're the best. I couldn't do with the, this without you, which is absolutely the truth. So thank you. Until next time. Bye.